Greetings fellow captains, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. In this episode, we will be featuring the Tier 8 Premium U.S. Navy Battleship, USS Alabama. And you all thought I was going to be saying USS Massachusetts there, right? No, we're going to be doing its less popular uh, sister, because that is what a listener has requested. And more details on that later in the episode. But before we get to the subject of today's episode, we must go over the World of Warships news, and a lot has happened since the last episode, namely the introduction of a new premium ship, the Belfast 1943 version. And I've heard uh, kind of a mixed bag about this ship. Some say it's really good, some say it's uh, not so great. So I guess it really depends on what you want to do with it. I have never seen this ship in a battle. I think that's just dumb luck, but never seen it in battle, so haven't really uh, gotten a chance to play with it or against it, but uh, it is a British town-class light cruiser, just like its other, um, I guess, counterpart in the game. It's basically the same thing, except uh, I think it doesn't have a short burst smoke generator, which we'll get to that in a second. But it's a town class light cruiser. Uh, it's a large set of consumables and torpedo armament with 2x2 two two launching capabilities. Nothing super special there. Uh, she has good concealment, surveillance radar, and a smoke screen. So I guess the thing that is special about this is the fact that you don't have to give up the smoke screen to have surveillance radar. So you can have. Um, or well, it does have 1,252 millimeter guns uh, and good HE shells. High arcing ballistics, though, that's kind of weird for a British cruiser. Usually, they're in the middle of the road as far as arcs are concerned. Two triple tube torpedo launchers, presumably one by on each side. Uh, short burst smoke generator consumable has a very short action time yet rapid reload. So I think it's more of a get out of jail free card. Assuming there's no radar, she has hydro acoustic search, and she has surveillance radar with a ship spotting range of around 9 kilometers. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a budget radar. I mean, it's not super bad, but it's it's kind of like the Salem's radar. And if you want to go for the absolute meme format of the Belfast, you can equip a fighter consumable instead of surveillance radar, which I really don't recommend because fighter consumables suck. Uh, and then she earns more credits per battle, just like every other premium ship that's ever existed. This ship looks like it's going to play a lot like a Tier 8 Atlanta, just because of the sheer array of its consumables, its high uh, DPM, especially with the high explosive shells, and its just liking of islands and cover like that. I mean, you really don't want to engage anybody in an open flank, because this will... I mean, it's going to get itself eaten alive, and it really does have that kind of short range that the Atlanta does, so I think it would play well against destroyers and in islands. But enough with that, there are new containers that you can get uh, that are always courageous containers, and these are good for the same, or will contain uh, various things of the same collection, so the always courageous collection. And if you complete that entire collection, which is like 12 items, I think, uh, then you will get the Tier 5 Premium U.S. Battleship USS Oklahoma, which is just kind of like a rebranded Arizona because it is very similar, or it was very similar in history, 
to the Arizona, just an earlier version with two less guns, and I believe a, a top speed that is a little lower. Next on the list of news for World of Warships, there is a uh, new weekly combat missions for the end of World War One. You can get containers and things like that if you uh, complete those combat missions. I believe there is uh, 250 doubloons up for grabs if you uh, complete those missions. Next up on the news is another partnership with Verizon and World of Warships. We've seen this before with that USS Arizona giveaway I mentioned on last episode. And this is a new season of Clan Battles. And uh, there is some serious rewards for people who, or clans who participate in this. In first place, $15,000. It's a lot of money. And then uh, second place, 10000 Third place, 5000 I surely am not good enough to participate in clans that are that good. But, you know, if you are uh, part of a clan that is going after that, good luck. Because those are some serious rewards right there. And to start to round off our news, we have uh, new developer bulletins for the uh, 0.9.11 and 0.9.12 updates. Uh, those are actually going to the public tests, and these are the updates that are going to uh, go into play when the new year is about to come out. So these are the new year updates where you get the harbor that's kind of, a, I guess, a Christmassy sort of thing and celebrating the new year, of course. And that will be interesting. I will kind of go into more detail once those actually come out because they are still in public test and may change. So me saying anything about them will or may change. And finally for our news, there is a Virtual Fleet Week highlight reel if you want to go see that. There's also some free containers if you simply go to the World of Warships website and uh, click participate on this or in the general news section on the a gift to turn the tide section you can get free or seven free containers and uh, I mean I opened them there were some pretty good rewards in there and lots of free XP and some signals and also some things for various collections that were in past updates and uh, I believe this these are all the containers from past updates so you get like Italian cruisers British destroyers that sort of thing and um, there's an exclusive patch for uh or um to salute veterans day and there's a combat mission for that and there's also a fleet of fog flagships and they are going back on sale i believe they went on sale a while ago and then there's some new ships that they added and these are just basically um specific ships that have a like a musashi that has an interesting camouflage from an anime series i don't have any interest in that but if you do there is a pack of all of them for like something like two hundred dollars if you're into that yeah 229.99 if you're into that so nice that they offer a pack like that but now let's get into some listener mail and i do have two emails from listeners that have emailed in and if you would like to add a third email to that for next episode you can email the podcast and that is rank amateur podcast at gmail.com and that will get read on next episode but for this episode we do have two emails the first email is from mr ira holmes and he goes on to say that i have listened to all 12 episodes and really enjoyed episode number four of backwards bob you do another american ship i would really like uss alabama as i like the ship however i struggle with it want to play it better and your explanation of ship play has been insightful, accurate, and helpful with others thus far. Bravo Zulu, keep up the good work. And so, for those of you who don't know, Bravo Zulu is uh, International Code of Signals for Well Done. And 
Yes, that is why we're doing our episode on USS Alabama. But thank you, Mr. Holmes, for your email. I really like to hear from you, and I am ecstatic that you're enjoying the podcast. I really enjoy making it, and to hear that you are enjoying it as well, that is very cool. And if you, like Mr. Holmes, have a ship suggestion for me to go over in next episode, feel free to shoot me an email. I will be more than happy to go over it. However, I can't guarantee that I'll do your ship necessarily, especially if I have a listener request for a ship in which I have more experience playing. And the second email comes from Petrico Colaco. And if you can uh, correct me on your name, that'd be nice because I am terrible at pronunciations. And the email reads, Hi, I just wanted to say that I really enjoy listening to your podcast every time I have the chance to. Maybe not all ships have interesting stories, but you make them sound enjoyable, and every ship that you make a podcast of seems to be alive again. And please keep up the good vibes. And this person is from Argentina. Yes, so my podcast is official international and i've known this for a little while because i have listeners in australia as well so thank you for your email patrico i think that's how you say it anyways let's get in to uss alabama's history right after the break well welcome back to rank amateur and now we're on the history section of uss alabama so uss alabama is a south dakota class fast battleship it is a second class of fast battleships and the third ship in the class and she is named after the state of alabama for those of you who do not live in the united states and may not know all the u.s states um she was ordered on april 1st 1939 she was built in the norfolk naval shipyard and for those of you maybe uh don't know that is in uh the state of virginia i've actually been there and it's a very large u.s navy base to this day and it has been that way for a while she was laid down on February 1st, 1940. She was launched on February 16th, 1942, and commissioned on August 16th, 1942. She was decommissioned on January 9th, 1947, and she was stricken from the Naval Register from on June 1st, 1962. And her fate, I will leave a mystery until the end of the episode. So as I said before, she is a South Dakota-class battleship. She has a displacement of 37,970 long tons uh, standard and 44,519 long tons full load. She is 680 feet long, or 210 uh, meters overall. She has a beam of 108 feet uh, 2 inches, which is 32.97 meters. She has a draft of 35 feet 1 inches or one inch rather, and that is 10.69 meters. So yes, this is a very, very deep battleship. She takes up 35 feet of water. Otherwise, she will beach. Just goes to show you how truly huge these battleships were because in the dry dock, uh, it's what you see above the water plus an additional 35 feet. So these things are, I think, like, what, like 10 stories tall or more? It's crazy how large these ships are. So she had an installed power of 130,000 shaft horsepower. Uh, And this comes from eight Babcock and Wilcox boilers. So if you compare this to some of the other ships we've done, like the USS New Mexico, that had a mere 32,000 ship horsepower, this is like, what, four times more powerful than uh, the USS New Mexico. And you can see why these ships would go so much faster because they just have so much more power in their design and they're also lighter because they have a little less armor than the new mexico but the armor is more effective because it's a later version of steel and it's angled better 
So the propulsion is four shafts, four steam turbines powering those shafts, maximum speed of 27.5 knots. And the range, she had a range of 15,000 nautical miles, and that's 28,000 kilometers, or 17,000 normal miles, at 15 knots, which is quite a bit faster than USS New Mexico, which is another U.S. battleship we did. You can check out the earlier episode um, at, at 15 knots. And that the other ship, USS New Mexico, went at 10 knots and had less of a range, or around the same range. So you can see how much technology has improved, even in just the 20 years that separates these two ships in development. She had a crew of 1,793 enlisted, or enlisted and officers in peacetime, and 2,500 officers and enlisted crew during wartime. And now onto her armament, and this is where it starts getting exciting. This is the first ship we've done in this podcast that has 16-inch guns. In fact, she has nine of them, and that is 406 millimeters for you metric folk. Uh, she had 25-inch uh, or 127-millimeter dual-purpose guns, which means that they could fire at ships, and they also had the elevation angles to fire at aircraft. And she had six quadruple 40-millimeter uh, Bofors guns and 35-single 20-millimeter Orlikin. And uh, for those of you who are in the United States, that's 1.6-inch and 0.8-inch, respectively. She had quite a bit of armor on the belt. She had 12.2 inches or 310 millimeters armor. She had 6 inches on her deck or 152 millimeters armor that's generally centered around the superstructure and the critical parts of the ship. They don't usually armor the deck on the ends of the ship that much. She had 18 inches or 457 millimeters of armor on her turrets. The barbettes were armored to 17.3 inches, so 440 millimeters. And the barbettes, by the way, are the kind of um, columns that are below the turrets. It's where the ammunition hoists and things are um, located. So those really have to be armored because on those hoists is live ammunition and propellant. And if those get penetrated and explode, the ship will rip in half. So, very bad that happened to HMS Hood. If you want to do that, check out some of our previous episodes. Uh, she had 16 inches of armor on her conning tower, and this is the command center, so it does have to be well-armored. Um, she had three Kingfisher float planes, and these are observation aircraft, and they're launched off two air, uh, catapults. The Kingfisher aircraft were relatively underpowered, so they didn't have that high of a top speed, and I believe they were unarmed, or at least not very well armed, maybe just one turret of a machine gun or something like that. And they were used for observation purposes, as the name would suggest, and that would just be launched off the catapult, and they would fly around for maybe a few hours or 20 minutes or something like that, looking for enemy uh, ships or scouting enemy uh, islands for uh, like emplacements and pillboxes and things for shore bombardment, and uh, just m making sure nothing surprised USS Alabama. And when they were done, so these uh, did have floats on the bottom, as they were float planes, and they were covered by a crane on the back of the ship. So the ship would slow down or stop, the plane would land next to it, pull up to it, and then the crane, uh, the crane would hook onto it and bring it back onto the deck of the ship. And it did carry three uh, float planes. So, you might be thinking, why were ships, like, not up to standard as far as, like, compared to Japan up until this point? Why were they kind of inferior to Japan up until this point? Well, that's because we were following the uh, the Washington Naval Treaty. And that treaty was created uh, 
after World War One in the mid-1920s to limit uh, a naval arms race. It completely failed. Naval arms races happened, but it did kind of slow them down. It more just punished the British and the Americans, because they actually followed the rules versus Germany, Japan, and kind of Italy, uh, just abandoned the treaty straight away. And France, by the way. They abandoned it, but they didn't really kind of capitalize on them, not ratifying the treaty. But that's, that's a whole other episode. I could go over so many things over what happened in the Washington Naval Treaty. But basically what happened is Germany abandoned it, but they didn't really do much with it. They built the Bismarck class of battleships and some other battleships, but not really it didn't because Germany didn't have the resources to build a large navy like the U.S. or Britain or Japan did. So Japan completely abandoned the treaty uh, secretly at first, but then uh, not so secretly after the U.S. found out about it. And essentially, what happened is the the U.S. saw that uh, Japan was building these massive battleships like uh, the Yamato class and similar battleships, and they were like, "No, we're not going to do this." So. Uh, the last class of battleships that was kind of limited by the London Naval or the Washington Naval Treaty, rather, was the North Carolina class. And even then, it was it was kind of stretching the rules of the Washington Naval Treaty. But so what the Washington Naval Treaty did is it limited the tonnage, the total tonnage of like battleships and cruisers that a navy could have, and it also limited how large those individual ships could be. And it stated that you couldn't have larger than sixty inch guns. You couldn't have uh, like I think, I forget, it was like 30,000 tons of battleships? Somewhere around 30,000 tons of battleships couldn't be larger than that. And of course, the Japanese just completely ignored that when they built the massive Yamato-class battleships. Um, But they also went way over how many ships they could have. They were, I think it was like double or something like that. They had way too many ships. They were supposed to scrap ships. Like, that's why the Lexington-class battlecruisers were converted to the Lexington-class aircraft carriers, because at the time, it was not seen that your aircraft carriers were going to be that effective. So it's like, we'll convert your effective battleships into, like, meteorically effective aircraft carriers. It was also the reason why HMS Nelson has all of its guns in the front, because in order to save weight yet still have a lot of armor, they needed to concentrate the citadel or critical part protection of the battleship into like one area so they could use less armor but still have thicker armor. So they decided to bring all the guns into the front of the ship or the bow uh, section and that produced a rather odd looking ship. Looks like a modern day oil tanker except with nine 16 inch guns but it worked nonetheless and they were still able to fit okay engine so it could i think it's like 24 knot top speed around so it was decently fast and it still packed a huge punch and had pretty good armor for a ship of its type and so once that was ignored you get the south dakota class battleships which are pretty fast really well armed and armored but anyways let's go into the operational history of USS Alabama. So, the interesting parts of USS Alabama's history begin right when she was being built. So, when she was after she was launched on February 16th, 1942, uh, she was assisted in being constructed by crane ship number 1. And you might think that this is not special, it's just a giant ship with or not a giant ship, but a ship with a giant crane on it. And that may be, except for this was USS Kersonage, or at least ex-USS Kersonage. And USS Kersonage was a pre-dreadnought battleship that was decommissioned under the terms of the Washington Naval Treaty and was converted into a crane ship because the U.S. Navy still wanted to, uh, or still had a use for 
it. And it was used to install the heavy armor into the USS Alabama, and it was also used to install the armament, like the guns and the gun turrets and the barbettes and things like that, ammunition hoists. And USS Kersenage, or crane ship number one, was used for a long time as a crane, and it built many other ships, such as... Um, USS Savannah, USS Chicago, and USS Pennsylvania, which is a older battleship. It was built in the mid-1910s, so you can see that she was not just used for building ships, but also modernizations of them. And the ship also was used in the raising of the USS Squalus, which is a ship that sank. Um, in, or not a ship, but a rather a submarine that sank in 1939 in a training accident. And she was also uh, involved in the reconstruction of Saratoga and the construction of USS Hornet and USS Boxer, which all are aircraft carriers. So uh, what's unique about this battleship is the only battleship that is not named after a uh, state. So it was USS Carsonage, while every other battleship built by the U.S. Navy was named after a state. It's kind of an anomaly, which is what I think makes it a little special. Anyways, uh, she was commissioned after this on August 16th, like we said. And then, after training, she was assigned to the British Home Fleet in April of 1943. And they first trained off of the coast of Scotland, and then their main task was to escort, uh, escort convoys to the Soviet Union via the Arctic routes because the British had sent several capital ships to the Allied invasion of Sicily, and thus they needed more battleships to escort convoys. So the Alabama and her sister ship, South Dakota, were that replacement, and they actually frequently operated with the battleships HMS Anson and HMS Duke of York, and these were two King George V-class battleships, and HMS Duke of York would actually take part in the sinking of the Bismarck later on. Or actually, uh, she took part in it earlier, rather. Alabama and South Dakota then participated in op Operation Governor, which was an operation designed to distract the Germans from the operation to invade Sicily. But this also had a second intention, and that was to lure the German battleship Tirpitz, the uh, last remaining Bismarck-class battleship, out of her port and hopefully to sink her. And this eventually failed as the Germans basically ignored the Allies and remained in port, so they couldn't go uh, get the Tirpitz and sink her. However, after this, the USS Alabama and the USS South Dakota detached from the British units to go back to the United States, and after an overhaul to prepare her for Pacific service against the Japanese, the USS Alabama uh, went through the Panama Canal and then reached Ectafi in the New Herbrides on September 14th, 1943. And then for a month and a half, she trained in that area before supporting the Gilbert and Marshall Islands campaign. And this involved screening the fast carrier attack force when they were attacking the airfields on the Marshall and Gilbert Islands. And then that involved bombarding the Japanese positions in order to support the landings on the islands. Alabama and five other fast battleships bombarded the island of Nauru on December 8th, and this is what Japanese used as a sort of phosphate, which I'm pretty sure is a 
derivative or uh, ingredient in explosives. So that's uh, very important to get rid of the source of phosphate for the Japanese. And this is when the destroyer USS Boyd came alongside USS Alabama to transfer three wounded men to the battleship because the destroyer had been hit by Japanese artillery fire. And then this same task force uh, escorted the light carriers Bunker Hill and Monetary to Actifee, which is in the New Herbrides, and they reached that on December 12th. USS Alabama then steamed back to Pearl Harbor for regular maintenance and the replacement of one of her propellers for some reason. She then partook in Operation Flintlock, which was the invasion of Koala Jin. And this is when Alabama, South Dakota, and USS North Carolina shelled the island of Rhinomer uh, over the course of January 29th to January 30th, 1943. And this was just targeting defensive positions, airfields, and other sort of facilities to hopefully uh, prevent the Japanese from attacking troops that they were trying to land on the island. And then she patrolled north of Koala Jin to guard against a possible Jan Japanese counterattack, which never occurred, probably because the Japanese were pretty much in full retreat at this point of the war. But it was a job that needed to be done nonetheless. And over the next two months, the fast carrier task force then participated in Operation Hailstone, which is a raid on the island of Turk, which is like the staging area of the Japanese Navy up until this point in World War II. And then she took uh, raid, had raids on Saipan, Tinian, and Guam, and that's just further disabling the Japanese ability to kind of restage their navy. And... Uh, during a Japanese air attack on February 21st, 1944, USS Alabama's number 9 5-inch turret, so that's that dual-purpose mount that can fire at aircraft and at ships as well, accidentally fired into the back of the number 5 mount and killed 5 men and wounded another 11. And this is because the locks on the turret that prevent it to firing into the ship were not installed properly or broke off or something happened where it was able to turn too far and lower the gun straight into its turret. So that was a little interesting. I've heard of that happening once before on a Brazilian ship where an anti-aircraft gun accidentally fired into the depth charges on sitting on the back of the ship or the stern of the ship, and that proceeded to sink said ship. So at least it didn't sink the ship because that would have been bad. But sad nonetheless because five American men were lost. Next thing that the USS Alabama did was escort carriers as they assisted in the Carolina Island campaign, and this just involved uh, shooting that aircraft that were attacking the carriers, screening them from enemy uh, heavy units, and then uh, she also participated in bombarding various islands in the Carolina Islands, as well as the coast of New Guinea, they'd adventure over there. She then participated in the Mar uh, Mariana Islands campaign, and this involved the USS Alabama bombarding various islands, and uh, it is noted that Alabama's gunners were not as experienced as others in bombarding uh, the shore, so they were not particularly effective. Basically means that they didn't do anything, which is something I find particularly amusing with such an advanced targeting system, or at least for the time, on this battleship. And then we get to the Philippine Sea, or the Battle of the Philippine Sea. And this is some very intense action between Japanese aircraft. And so the USS Alabama was actually the first battleship or ship in the fleet to pick up the incoming Japanese aircraft on her radar. And then the battleship USS Iowa was able to pick up them on the 
her radar, so then that was a clear sign to U.S. fleet that this was not a fluke, and there was indeed a uh, squadron of Japanese aircraft coming in. In fact, there were seven waves coming in, and there were several times where actually a pair of aircraft several times was able to uh, break the combat air patrol which is a squadron of fighters that I've sent up during an air raid over the fleet to shoot down any incoming aircraft before they have to get to the ship or before they get to the friendly ships and two torpedo bombers attempted to attack the USS South Dakota but they were driven off by both the South Dakota and the USS Alabama's uh, potent just to say potent anti-aircraft weapons and then a single dive bomber was able to penetrate the anti-aircraft defenses of USS Alabama because she was focusing her fire on protecting USS South Dakota however uh, the pilot managed to miss his bombs and caused no damage to the ship as the bombs presumably either detonated into the water or just sank to the bottom she then participated in the invasion of guam which this kind of consisted of her just escorting carriers against or rather screening them against any uh, incoming aircraft by uh, shooting them down with their anti-aircraft guns which seems fairly exciting not really but a job that needs to be done by the navy nonetheless she then started to participate in the Philippines campaign, first when they were just bombarding, uh, I guess, more unimportant islands such as Cebu, Leyte, uh, Bohol, and Neg Negros, and the capital of Melania was later bombarded with a second series of strikes that was conducted by the U.S. carrier force, which was escorted by USS Alabama. And then USS Alabama returned to Saipan and then proceeded to Ulithi, which was a major staging ground for the U.S. fleet. And then sorted back to the island of Formosa, which is now Taiwan. And this was to neutralize the airfields in advance of the invasion of the Philippines to hope, in the hope that uh, the neutralization of these airfields would prevent the Japanese from reinforcing their forces that were already on the Philippines and thus interfere with the invasion of it. And this proved to work fairly well. And now we get to the Battle of Leyte Gulf, and this is a really, really large battle that occurred, and this was kind of a last-ditch resort by the Japanese. And this was to have a uh, northern force of aircraft carriers, which were damaged and depleted of their aircraft, easy targets, to go and distract the U.S. battleships and main force, and hopefully get them into pursuit and drag them away from their job of protecting the invasion and then attack the invasion force, or what was left of it, with heavy battleships and other capital ships and artillery, like heavy cruisers and battle cruisers. And so when the northern force approached and got in sight of the, uh, namely USS Alabama, the Iowa, the New Jersey, all these fast modern battleships at the time, the admiral who was in charge, William Halsey, bought it hook, line, and sinker and sent a majority of his heavy, or actually all of his heavy artillery straight after in pursuit of the carriers and hopefully sinking them. And this was fairly successful. They sank all four ca uh, carriers and damaged two old battleships that were escorting them. Except for the fact that the modern Japanese units and the heavy artillery were heading straight towards their invasion force and had arrived. And these... Uh, the invasion force was escorted by escort carriers, destroyers, and destroyer escorts. These were very small units not meant to take on the might of what's left of the Japanese Navy. 
So they actually put up a fierce resistance. They probably should have just left the area and forgotten about it, and that's what the Japanese wanted, but they stayed and they fought, and they actually managed to take out, or at least damage, a few of the Japanese heavy units, and this is where the destroyer USS Johnston was sunk, and this battle actually produced some of the deepest wrecks, the shipwrecks that have ever been discovered, some like 26,000 feet below the sea level. So most of the ships in the uh, the invasion force for the U.S. were sunk, especially the destroyers. I believe two destroyers were sunk, pretty much all the destroyer escorts and maybe an escort carrier. I don't know exactly what happened, but it was frantic calls for help that was able to turn around the uh, the other battleships. And this order to turn around from Chester W. Nimitz to William Halsey was delayed by an hour, so that means that they traveled for an hour and then turned back. So they had two hours of extra time that were added onto it, and if they would have turned right away, it's possible that they could have caught these Japanese heavy units in the very act of uh, attacking the escort. But uh, the escort ships or the in in the invasion force were saved by some smart maneuvering such as smoking up the escort carriers so the non-radar guided japanese guns could not get a target lock onto the escort carriers so that saved them and prolonged their fighting time for a little bit longer after this eventful operation it was just mainly taking over the rest of the philippine islands that alabama participated in however Typhoon Cobra on December 17th swept through and sank three destroyers and damaged USS Alabama superstructure slightly, but it did destroy both of her Kingfishers, which were the observation planes, which is a bit of a blow. Most of the war, or the rest of the war, was fairly uneventful, just screening the carrier task force of aircraft, and however, one kamikaze managed to get through uh, Alabama's defenses and struck the carrier USS Enterprise, which was unfortunate, but if only one aircraft was able to get through and deal damage to a ship uh, under the protection of USS Alabama in the entire war. I think that's a pretty good record because she must have shot down, shot down hundreds of aircraft. And then it was just kind of bombarding the Japanese home islands with uh, battleship HMS King George V, interestingly enough. So the British had gotten done dealing with the Germans and kicking them to death. And this was now July of 1945. So they sent HMS King George V to the American fleets to assist them with dealing with the Japanese. And then we dropped a few bombs, on, a few atomic bombs on the Japanese, and they decided to surrender. So uh, then the USS Alabama uh, was in Tokyo Bay for a while. Then she took back uh, 700 men as part of Operation Ma Magic Carpet. And that's the operation where a bunch of U.S. Navy ships took uh, sailors back home to uh, the United States, or the continental United States. And now, what do you think the fate of USS Alabama is? Well, she was decommissioned in 1947, so she did not have that long of a career, only like, I think, four years, around four years of active service, four to five, actually. And she is now a U.S. National Historic Landmark in Mobile, Alabama, as a museum ship. And so you can go visit her in Mobile, Alabama. So if you're interested in coming to the United States and Alabama, I'd check her out. 
because that is a very cool sight to see. I've actually never been there myself, but I imagine it's quite cool, as I have been on USS Wisconsin, which is an Iowa-class battleship. But I think it's about time that we get to the World of Warships section of this episode, and I will see you there right after this break. Hello and welcome back once again to Rank Amateur, and we are on to the World of Warships section of the episode on USS Alabama. And without further ado, let's get into the specifications of this Tier 8 Premium battleship. So she has 63,600, or 300 hit points rather, so that's quite uh, good for a battleship of her tier, or actually quite mediocre. It's not good, it's not bad. Uh, she has... Three 406mm uh, gun battery turrets, each with three guns apiece, so that's 16-inch guns, and they're quite large, and they fire that super heavy AP that we all love to view us battleships. They have a reload time of 30 seconds, and that's pretty standard across all battleships. That's literally the average of battleships. So she has a turret traverse time of 40 seconds per 180 degrees, and that's actually pretty good for a battleship of her tier and a gun size or gun caliber of her tier. Uh, she has a firing range of 21.1 kilometers, but good luck hitting anything at that range. She has a maximum dispersion of 271 meters, which, I mean, isn't bad. It's actually not bad for 21 kilometers, but still, it's quite a bit of dispersion at that range. It's not as bad as USS Massachusetts, though. She has a maximum HE shell damage of 5,700, which is mediocre. Should only be fired if you guaranteed to ricochet. Uh, and the chance of fire on target is 36%. Initial HE shell velocity is 803 meters a second. The HE shell weight is 862 kilograms. AP shell is a 406mm AP Mark 8 shell. Uh, the maximum AP shell damage is 13,100, so there is that quite punchy AP. And the initial HE shell, or AP shell rather, velocity is 701 meters a second, which is awful. Yes, these guns are very, very lofty. They will shoot very high in the air, and it's good for shooting over islands, but the shells take forever to get there. The AP shell weight is 1,225 kilograms. Yes, these are very, very heavy shells. Secondary armament consists of 127 millimeter guns. There are 10 guns mounted in, or no, 10 turrets and two guns per turret. The firing range is five kilometers, which is nothing compared to the USS Massachusetts. Rate of fire is 10 shots a minute for a reload time of 6 seconds. HE shell is 127mm Mark 32 high explosive shell. Maximum HE damage is only 1800, so eh, it's not as punchy as the uh, Massachusetts secondaries. Uh, maximum HE shell velocity is 792 meters a second and a 5% fire chance. The anti-aircraft defense is very very good. Uh, it has So they have 20mm Orlikans. There are 52 of those in single turrets. Average damage per second is 187.2 per turret. Uh, firing range is, or maybe not per turret, but the firing range is 2.01 kilometers. She has 40mm Borfers, and there are 12 of those, four guns each. Uh, average damage per second is 190.8. Firing range, 3.51 kilometers. 127mm 38 caliber Mark 32. Uh, guns and those are those five inch dual purpose guns uh and those are, there are 10 of those uh, 10 of those turrets and two guns per turret average damage per second is 151 as well the firing range is 5.01 kilometers so that's your long range flak bursts 
Maximum speed is 27.5 knots. Turning circle radius is an okay 710 meters. This is a little uh, longer than the U.S. standard battleships, but comparable to most other uh, U.S. fast battleships. So it's not going to be as tight as the Colorados or the New Mexicos, but it will be a little tighter than your Iowa. Rudder shift time is 15.3 seconds, which is uh, mediocre. It's not good. It's not bad. It's it's okay. Uh, surface detectability range is rather large. It's 16.2 kilometers, so it is rather bad. Air detectability range is 9.72 kilometers, so you're going to see these things from a while away. So, what are the pros and cons of this ship? So, we have the 16-inch guns. Oh my gosh, when... They, they're not super accurate. Their dispersion can be a little bit wonky at times. The stigma value on these guns is pretty terrible. So, uh, but they when they do hit, they do hit like a truck, like a speeding freight train. They will devastate anything that hits. It actually fires the same shells as Tier 9 Iowa and Tier 10 Montana. Her AA suite is a no-fly zone. I mean, especially prior to the carrier reworks, you would not see an aircraft come close to this ship. And uh, I'd imagine with any aircraft coming at this ship, you'd experience, or it would experience uh, utter devastation to the squadron. So at most, you'd probably be able to get off like one attack squadron or one attack against it because on the return trip, most of your uh, aircraft would be destroyed by the AA suite, I'd imagine. I mean, I... I don't really have much experience with this ship, so I can't say for sure, but I do know that it uh, would be certainly uh, very unpleasant for a carrier to attack, so you can expect most carriers to avoid you unless they have no choice. She is a very, very durable ship when angled. Uh, you'll see most shots just bounce straight off the bows and uh, the belt armor. Her armor belt is slightly thicker than North Carolina's, which is the tech tree counterpart that she has, so that's always a plus. Her citadel's completely underwater. She has the best interior torpedo protection, and I mean it is crazy. The torpedo damage reduction is around 60%. Like, torpedoes, especially aerial torpedoes, may as well be a dent in the hull. It is crazy. So you that's, that's a benefit, because as long as you're not on extremely low health, you can just take aerial torpedoes, especially if these aerial torpedoes, if it would mean avoiding them, would be giving broadside to another battleship or maybe even a heavy cruiser, would uh, result in more damage. You can just take the torpedoes knowing that you've taken less damage than you would have if you would have sustained a broadside shot from a battleship. Uh, she has a actually fairly tight turning circle. It's only mediocre, but for other compared to other battleships, especially of other nations, and even against its tech tree counterpart of the North Carolina, yeah, the the rudder shift time is only okay, but the turning circle is where it really gets you. Uh, it has a pretty good top speed of 28 knots, not going to compare to any Georgias or any French battleships or anything like that, but it will definitely uh, go faster than most other battleships, or at least the same speed. And now we get to the cons. Slow muzzle velocity. This is, We're talking like U.S. light cruiser standards here. It is crazy. So while you can lob shells over islands really well, uh, you're going to need a lot of lead. And good luck hitting a French destroyer at range. You won't ever. Don't even waste your shells on that. Dispersion with that weird stigma value uh, is unfriendly and can be kind of frustrating. Uh, especially at longer ranges, so it wouldn't really recommend engaging others at long range, especially a Japanese battleship, because that can hit you at long ranges, so you end up taking more damage than you'll dish out. Uh, the aiming systems modification one cannot be mounted onto this ship, so that's what kind of makes it a little frustrating. 
Uh, she's not as well armored as American Standard battleships, which I did mention before. And this means not flashing your broadside at any battleship is suicidal. Even a Moskva could do some serious damage to you. Uh, her secondaries are fairly weak, so don't go doing any uh, Massachusetts crap where you're going in and basically YOLOing and coming out on top because you have ridiculous secondaries. Even though it's still a South Dakota-class battleship, and historically it should be the same, Wargaming does that weird thing where they make every ship have its own niche or whatever. So don't do anything uh, that involves like secondary um, brawling. And then there's the rudder shift time, which is faster than North Carolina's, but still fairly slow. So, so don't expect anything special from that. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll go to the upgrades before I talk on how to play this ship. So, upgrades is uh, fairly typical. Uh, main armaments, modification 1. Damage control system, modification 1 and slot 2. Slot 3 is AA guns, modification 1. Because the ship's AA is so good, you're really going to want to buff that. Uh, slot 4, Damage Control Systems, Modification 2. This is a little bit up in the air, but um, it is what Wargaming recommends, and it's also what I'm going to recommend, because I just don't like getting set on fire, and if I do get set on fire, I really want it to be extinguished fast and not have to burn my damage control on it. And then Slot 5, Concealment Systems, Modification 1, because your concealment is so horrible, you want to maybe try and get that down to somewhere in the acceptable range. Uh, so that you're not like announcing your presence to everybody by merely sailing. But let's discuss some of the up-and-air things. So while I really would want to go to main armaments modification 1, just to increase the durability of my gun turrets, if you feel that maybe your gun turrets are fairly reliable and you don't want to uh, increase the survivability of them, you could go for... Uh, auxiliary armaments modification one for those who want to go for a full uh, anti-aircraft build and this will increase the durability of your anti-aircraft mounts so maybe by the end of the game if you've taken a lot of high explosive spam from uh, so many cruisers or destroyers your more of your AA mounts will be uh, functional and then there's slot three and this has got three different upgrades that you could mount but I really don't recommend uh, one of them. The other two, you could go either way or even switch between the two if you want to demount and remount. So AA Guns Modification 1 is what I would recommend because it does boost the AA strength. However, uh, you could do Secondary Battery Modification 1, and that's going to boost the range and accuracy of your secondaries because they are kind of bad, actually. Um, I really wouldn't do that because it's kind of like polishing a turd, and it's not going to be anything close to Massachusetts. But you could. One thing I absolutely would not go for is artillery plotting room. And that's because it's going to increase your range and give your secondaries a slight boost in range and accuracy. But increasing the range is like is, is pointless because you're not going to hit anything out of maximum range anyways because of the lofty shells and just kind of wonky dispersion. So the gain in your secondary range and accuracy can just be replaced with your secondary battery modification 1. I would just go for that and not even mess around uh, with the artillery plotting room modification. But I personally would pick AA Guns Modification 1. And then there's Slot 4, which could go one of two ways. So you could do Damage Control System Modification 2, but if you don't mind necessarily burning your damage control, uh, maybe more often, especially if you're at lower health, 
uh, you could go for steering gears modification one. That's going to improve your rudder shift speed, which may actually be better depending on how you play the ship. If you play like a traditional battleship, you would want to go for damage control system modification two. But if you're going to play it like how I'm going to tell you to play it, you might actually want to go for steering uh, gears modification one. Although I really don't like dealing with fire, so I would go with damage control systems. So onto the captain skills. So. There's a few different ways you could go with this, depending on what you want to do with your ship. Um, and there's a few different things I'll recommend. So for level 1, there's really no clear-cut path. You could do pretty much whatever you wanted. If you're going for a full AA build, it might actually be good, uh, of course, after you've taken priority target. I always recommend that on every single ship that I have, or actually I have that on every single ship I have, just because I want to know... How many people are targeting me and that's really useful for pulling maneuvers like if no one's targeting me maybe i can kind of swing my rear turret out a little bit more so i can or swing my ship around a little bit more so i can get that rear turret to bear but if someone's targeting me i definitely don't want to do that because that's going to give them more of a broadside target to shoot at so priority target is well your number one priority um but you could also do a direction center for fighters and this is uh good for a full anti-aircraft build because it adds the extra fighter. So if you relinquish your catapult fighter and take, or no, relinquish your spotting aircraft rather and take a catapult fighter, you can have a ton of fighters and that could add to your anti-aircraft potential, especially if you're doing that full anti-aircraft build. However, in uh, tier two or uh, the second, yeah, second point tier of uh, commander skills, I would recommend Expert Marksman. I, I have that on all my battleships just to make sure that turret diverse is uh, better so I can switch targets easier, especially if a destroyer pops up and you need to shoot at it. Um, so for skill 3, the superintendent skill is useful for having an additional heal on all battleships, especially if you take a lot of damage, because this ship will take a lot of high explosive spam damage. However, um, basic firing training would be good simply because it improves the damage from your AA guns and that's uh, very good for people who want to do a full anti-aircraft build. And then in tier 4, I would recommend either concealment expert or advanced firing training because you're gonna advanced firing training is going to give you the extra uh, flak burst damage and then concealment expert is going to give you a little bit extra concealment. Um, you could take both of those. That is... Uh, certainly a viable option but uh, fire prevention is also a viable option for those people who are just really scared like me of fires and uh, have just had some maybe some bad experiences with fires which will and that's going to reduce your chance of fire and then your maximum number of fires on your ship which is always useful and then signal flags is pretty typical India Delta to make sure that uh, your survivability is up by uh, enhancing the amount of health that can be recovered with your heal. Sierra mic to increase the top speed. You could mount this. I might mount that. I don't know. I usually use that more in my destroyers, but maybe if you got like a lot of Sierra mic flags, maybe like 200 from a super container or something like that, that would be, that could certainly be useful. And then fire prevention with uh, India Yankee, or uh, I mean the counter fires. And then, uh, you can also mount the AA flag. I, the name of it escapes me at the moment. Oh, yeah, November Echo uh, 77, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, and that's going to enhance your already formidable AA, especially if you're going for that full AA build, that full no-fly zone. 
and you could uh, also mount the November Foxtrot, which I always think is a good idea, and that's going to shorten the reload time of your consumables. And then uh, there's all those flags that you can use for to enhance your economic uh, status, or not status, but like your economic gains off of each battle. That is also very useful. So, well, how are we going to play this ship? Well, there's one of two ways you could play this ship. You could play this ship as more of a traditional battleship, kind of similar to the King George V class, except it's a little bit more hardy and uh, able to take more damage than maybe the King George V class, and just kind of sit at mid-range, maybe like not quite out on the flank, but sort of, sort of out there, just kind of providing supporting fire, and that will work very well, um, or at least it should work very well. But I think a better way to play this would be to play it more like a cruiser. And that's kind of weird because it does have 60-inch guns. It is a full battleship. It's not just a battle cruiser. But because this ship has a very strange armor arrangement, or at least last time I checked, it had a very strange armor arrangement. And I checked a few years ago. So what happens is this ship is covered entirely in 32-millimeter plating. Or not 30... Yeah, I think it's 32-millimeter plating. So easily penable by high explosive. Um, and... That are, and even some armor pierce or most armor piercing will pen straight through it. So you're going to get a lot of armor piercing penetration damage. But the armor belt of it is actually located behind that 32mm plating, and it is very thick. So it starts to not function when you're broadside because it's kind of a weird turtle back arrangement. It's not quite at the angle that most German battleships are at, so that's why it's not recommended to go in totally close range. But at mid-range, it really sh starts to shine. You will bounce shells left and right. And you can bounce them straight off the bow, but if you're really angling, you will get penetrations, but they'll be lower-value penetrations because they don't actually penetrate the armor belt, which means you're going to want to stay away from high-explosive spam, which means that using cover is going to be essential because you want to stay away from the light cruisers and destroyers, which tend to fling a lot of high-explosive. Um, so by sitting behind these islands like a cruiser, and then flinging your shells over it, you'll A, remain undetected, and therefore be harder to shoot and get shot at, and B, you be able to dish out a lot of damage over the island. But let's say that, you know, you get uh, stuck on maybe the ocean map, because that is in the rotation. A complete map with no islands whatsoever is in the rotation. It's very rare to see it, but it does come up. What if you're stuck without cover? Well, I'd play it like a cruiser. That's why you want to take that... Uh, modification, the steering gears modification uh, two or no modif modification one to decrease the rudder shift time because then you can literally dodge shells like a cruiser. It's fun to do. You can dodge shells or at least get angled enough that hopefully it'll bounce off even that 32 millimeter plating. Because remember, only the Yamato can overmatch 32 millimeter plating. So if a uh, if a I don't know heavy cruiser or a battleship armed with uh, six less than 18 inch guns. Um, it's just starting to shoot at you, you can bounce those shells or avoid them completely, especially lower velocity shells. This thing does take a lot of damage from light cruisers, though, so unless you have their broadside to engage them with uh, and just kind of finish them, I really wouldn't recommend any prolonged duels with them. I wouldn't recommend any prolonged duels with destroyers either because this thing does not have the secondaries in the Massachusetts and their high explosive ammunition that's fired back at you from the destroyers will start to do damage that will add up and the fires will also start to do damage. However, you don't have to really worry about their torpedoes unless it's Japanese because then they're still going to do a lot of damage because remember, your torpedo damage reduction is pretty good. 
So my ultimate strategy would be to go to one of the caps rather closely, not super close, but rather close, um, and kind of sit behind an island, maybe just outside the cap, or uh, I would say like maybe four or five kilometers outside the cap, and then just look in, and then have a destroyer go in there, check it out, and whatever he spots at you, you lob over the your shots over the island, and shoot at. And let's say you gain control of the cap, because if you don't gain control of the cap and you're getting pushed back, you're just going to kite. I recommend kiting like a heavy cruiser. But if you gain control of the cap, then I will go into it, capture it, or just go slightly around it, and then hook to the Alpha cap, or the Charlie cap. So let's say you go to Charlie, which is always on... Uh, the far side of a map, and Alpha is always on the far side of the map. So if you go to Charlie, I would sit on that island that's just outside of it, fire in, let's say you eliminate all the cruisers that went there, and maybe the one battleship. So then you go towards Charlie, maybe go into Charlie, or just around Charlie, and then go back immediately head towards Alpha. Immediately. And that will give you plenty of targets to shoot at at medium range. I found out with my battleships that if I go too far... Uh, either north or south of the caps, I and kind of hit them from maximum range, it's not effective because you can't hit anything because your guns aren't that accurate. And then that results in low damage numbers, and maybe the one volley that a Japanese battleship sends at you gets a Citadel hit or something like that and ends you, and that's very, very frustrating. So by going into these caps and uh, going through them, you'll probably be avoiding most of the destroyers because they're probably trying to engage your the other half of your team that's on the other flank, and you can get some good crossfire damage in, and that's what the ship's excels at is getting in crossfires. So my gist of the ship? Really play it like a cruiser. Don't show broadside, it's suicidal. Don't go in close and brawl, because it's not in Massachusetts. And just kind of stay at medium range. You don't want to be at super long range, but you don't want to be at super close range. So, And then you can also use island cover, because the shell velocity is so low, it will have a high arc. So that is my gist of the ship. I really hope it helps you out in playing the USS Alabama. If you have any uh, questions or comments, feel free to send it to Rank Amateur at Gmail or Rank Amateur Podcast rather at gmail.com. Feel free to check out my merch store, which is linked in the description of this episode and the podcast. And uh, any uh, purchases from that store will go directly to support this podcast and are much appreciated. And you can also go to my Anchor page and pledge uh, $1.99, $4.99, or $9.99 a month to help out the podcast. And that goes to production costs and uh, going towards keeping this podcast running and are very much appreciated. But that is all for this episode. And until next time, Captains...